Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Ross Kirkconnell, who is the executive director of the Guelph Family Health Team. Outside of the city of Guelph or Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health, it's hard to think of a group that's been more intertwined with the day-in, day-out issues of COVID-19 management and the local response than the Guelph Family Health Team. From testing to case management and now vaccination, the Family Health Team has been in the thick of it through the pandemic, and today, exactly one year after the Government of Ontario first declared a state of emergency about COVID-19, it seems timely to get some insight from behind the scenes. Pandemic management is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. March 17th, 2020 was not the start of the pandemic in Ontario, but it was the day that the proverbial stuff got real. Entirely new public health measures in response to the burgeoning pandemic were initiated seemingly overnight, but the response in Guelph and area was the result of weeks of pre-planning amongst various parties, groups, and government agencies. The Guelph Family Health Team, already a part of the Guelph and area Ontario Health Team, was an appropriate choice to help coordinate the local COVID response. Their experience allowed a testing clinic next to Guelph General Hospital to be rapidly set up and established to accept potential COVID cases, and it was the first step in understanding the extent of local COVID spread, and it was one of the first clinics of its kind to be established in the region. The Guelph Family Health Team proved that they were an asset in the local fight against COVID, and they have remained central even now as we seem to have reached the end, or potential end, of the pandemic. On Monday, a vaccine clinic was opened at the University of Guelph's University Center, an initiative supervised by the Guelph Family Health Team, and the second vaccine clinic that they've helped launch in the last two weeks. It's remarkable work, not to mention the fact that all of this is happening while the Family Health Team is still providing primary care to its own patients. If there's one person to have on this podcast to mark the occasion of one year of COVID, and it's not Medical Officer of Health Dr. Nicola Mercer, it's the man that leads the family health team, and this week he will talk about the pandemic, its past, present, and maybe its future. Ross Kirkconnell is the guest on this week's Guelph Politicast, and he will talk about how the Guelph family health team got involved in pandemic planning, how they've been balancing that with their primary care patients and the various odd jobs in medicine and long-term care that he and his staff have been doing just to help out. Kirkconnell will also talk about balancing long-term and short-term needs, how Guelph's good social fabric helped make the pandemic response easier, and how the pandemic response has proved why integrated health care matters. And finally, we will discuss the vaccine rollout, what we can learn from this year's non-existent flu season, and why Kirkconnell is worried that we might end up forgetting the lessons we've learned from the pandemic in the years to come. So I caught up with Ross Kirkconnell last week via Zoom. So Ross Kirkconnell, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, I, I always ask this question of, of Dr. Mercer when we do our quarterly chats, and I, th- I think you're someone who who deserves to hear the question too, since you, you are so um, heavily involved in fighting the pandemic on a day-to-day basis. But I mean, how are you doing in all of this? How is the, the Guelph family health team doing in all this? How are you guys coping right now? Well, that's a good question. I think pr- 
probably like everyone else, we all have our days. <laughs> it's been a long year. And, uh, you know, I think most of us have been pretty busy in our jobs at the best of times. And, uh, and having this thrust upon us has provided lots of opportunity, of course, but it's been, it's been tiring. You know, I don't think uh, it would be very um, disloyal to any healthcare worker to say they're not tired. Every, you know, I think we're all tired. We're all tired of being shut in. We're all tired of, of not having the flexibility in our lives. We're all tired of not being able to see friends and family and do the things that we, we think are fun. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we're doing just fine. In the grand scheme of things, we're doing just fine. And at this stage, a year later, we're talking about vaccine and we're talking about moving forward and we're talking about, you know, the new normal. Mm-hmm. And so that feels pretty good. So I think uh, all in all, yeah, of course, we're tired, but uh, we're in a good space right now. At what point did did you and the health team get involved in, in pandemic planning? I think a lot of people are aware that... Uh, you, you helped set up the assessment center. You're working on a lot of the vaccine clinics now. Um, but I know that the city was already planning uh, for pandemics. Um, at January of last year, the Guelph police had, um, I guess, ironically run a drill about pandemic planning the year before. Um, but where, where does, I guess, when and where does the, the health team fit in into that? That's planning? a great question. So, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, with city leadership, pandemic planning is something that's ongoing and every community needs to do. And I've been involved with it for years and years in this community. But, you know, I, uh, I particularly remember, and I remember the day it was February 28th uh, in 2020. And, you know, we'd all been glued to, you know, CBC or CNN or, or local papers or whatever, you know, seeing about this, this thing in, in Wuhan province. And, uh, you know, I worked in healthcare when, when uh, SARS, I was, wasn't in Guelph then, but I was working in healthcare during SARS. Um, and more recently, um, H1N1 uh, was in Guelph. And you might recall the Guelph Family Health Team worked with Guelph General to set up an assessment clinic over on uh, Delhi Street. And so uh, I remember it was a really snowy day and we thought, this is coming and we got to get ahead of this. And so we started on a plan um, that end of February, and we've been, you know, communicating a lot with public health and and uh, other health system partners. But we started on a plan that day. We're actually uh, a little bit ahead of the province mm-hmm. um, on that one, and uh, we're reminded of that. Uh, but uh, but that's okay. We knew it was the right thing to do, and uh, I knew that, um, you know, when we talk about where I work, it's primary care. And primary care, for those who don't use that lingo, it's kind of family practice, family doctors and all the others who work in in, uh, family practice offices. But in primary care, we knew we could either have this mysterious disease coming to all the offices, or we could centralize things and kind of help keep people separate and safe. Mm -hmm. And so we started our planning, for something that we thought was going to be short term, and here we are a year a year later. So uh, um, we uh, we really launched last in meaningfully last the end of last February. I remember that. Mm. You know, hearing you 
say that you were planning for something short term. I, I think we were all planning for something short term at the time. It's like, oh, we'll be on lockdown for a couple of weeks and then, you know, we will move on and perhaps there will be precautions. You know, how there, there's so much in, in the way that people, you know, sort of in, in our regular lives have had to adjust on the fly too. Um, and I imagine a lot of that is happening at the, at your level, you know, with, with the health system, um, how much have you been able to really kind of really think out long-term when planning the pandemic response and how much of it is, you know, you having to respond every day to the new crisis? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both, uh, a little bit of both for sure. So I remember reading a great paper that was done by uh, Boston Consulting Group that talked about three phases, a flattened phase, um, where we just needed to uh, just flatten what was going on and then get into a fight phase and then get into a restart phase. And I've revisited that paper a few times over the course of the, the pandemic because, you know, we did a long time of flattening and then, and then the first wave ended and we thought we were good. And then um, second wave came. And so the fight phase kind of really... Um, really took hold but but let me and let me back back and i think at some point soon we'll be at restart but i don't know when that's going to be but <laughs> but you know if i think about the first phase of it we knew uh this is big and it's going to be big and we need to change things right now so virtually overnight and i think most everyone will know family practice offices had to switch the way they do their jobs mm -hmm. and so we went into We'd been talking about doing virtual care for years and, you know, many family doctors and others will do some phone calls and some will do some emails and occasionally like a, a video consult, you know, pre-COVID. Well, all of a sudden, bam, COVID hit. We need to do this now and we need to do it everywhere. And because we needed to keep our health force safe. And so it was keeping our patients safe, but it was also keeping our providers safe. If we lost our healthcare workforce early on in COVID, not knowing what the trajectory of COVID would be, then our system wasn't going to be able to respond for the public. So again, virtually overnight, we, we shifted to virtual care in primary care. So, you know, and then anyone who's had an appointment over the last year has known they're they're screened on the phone and found they find out if they need an in-person visit or a phone visit or or uh, or a video consult and and you know it's worked I think pretty well. In fact, we've asked a lot of patients about it and uh, a lot of doctors about it. There's no doubt it's here to stay at some in some way. Uh, maybe we'll find a, a middle ground from where we've been, but it really works well. I had an appointment with with my family doctor. It was fantastic. We did a phone visit. It was something quick and easy and we dealt with it. Um, and I think, if you know, we all know people that went through that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one piece we had to do overnight. The other piece we knew we had to do overnight was, as I talked about before, was the, uh, the assessment center. You know, because clearly with this kind of disease, with this kind of um, possible spread, we had to get people to one place. And uh, what was really heartening for me is, is people just jumped on board. And when I say people, family doctors, the staff of the Guelph Family Health Team, but public health and the paramedics and Guelph General and, and all the other healthcare partners, they, 
they all just stepped up. So, you know, when we started the first clinic on Delhi before we moved to uh, Victoria Road, we had dietitians were greeting people and mental health counselors were, were screening people and anyone and everyone who could work there was working there. Mm. Um, we didn't know, remember, we didn't know them. We didn't know, we, at that point in time, we weren't wearing masks when we were out in public. Um, we knew we had to protect healthcare workers with, with protective equipment, but it was in short supply. And so we, we didn't know the rules. Did you have to wear this kind of mask or that kind of mask? So it was kind of crazy times, but we did it. And uh, it was a really great and satisfying community response. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing we had to do, and you know, looking back, probably there's lots we would do different, but we knew we had to protect the hospital. We had to keep these people out of hospital, knowing that some of them would have to go in hospital. Um, and we had to uh, protect high-risk groups like long-term care, retirement home, uh, people experiencing homelessness, uh, those populations. So it was a huge and immediate effort. And I can tell you, you know, I think about it now, but we were every evening, every weekend, just trying to uh, work together to think what group needs our help uh, and what's a solution for them. And, uh, you know, we often talk about the need to be creative. We sure found creative ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. uh, in the early days. Well, you opened the door. I was going to get to it later, but since you opened the door already, um, I did want to sort of look back at the past a bit and see if there is anything, you know, understanding hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, what we would do differently given the same set of circumstances. Because, I mean, on the one hand, there's always room for improvement. But on the other hand, you know, you have... You know, General Hillier, you know, pretty much getting ready to give Dr. Mercer the mm -hmm. Order of Canada for our local response. Mm -hmm. And it, it just seems like we fared a bit better in our region than in many places. Um, and, and that may be because of the unique, you know, circumstances here. But from your point of view, could we have done better? Yeah, well, for sure. Of course, we could have done better. You know, one of the things that, you know, I don't know how widely it's known in the community, but, um, you know, now with Ontario health teams, but it's a long history of collaboration. You know, Marianne Walker from the hospital and I know each other and know each other well, and think nothing of Thursday afternoon, four o'clock, giving each other a call and saying, hey, can you help out with this? And, uh, or Rochelle at the community health center or whomever. And uh, that goes a long way. We, we already have a pretty good social fabric of healthcare and support services in this community. So, so that positioned us well. But to your question, um, you know, I think locally and provincially and nationally, you know, we're all looking at congregate care, long-term care and retirement home. You know, we, we, I don't think we knew in the early days how hard this would hit older people. Mm. although we suspected it. Um, I don't think we knew uh, how hard it would people would hit people with um, multiple health issues, uh, although we suspected it. And those people are congregated in long-term care and retirement homes. And so 
the protection of the residents and the staff in long-term care homes could have been done better. I think everyone felt they were doing their best, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no criticisms there, but I think if we as a system had invested in, in a whole lot more screening early, early on in the homes, if we'd invested in a lot more infection control practices and really more, perhaps maybe to the extreme, we should have gone and should have, you know, being the word, mm-hmm. um, you know, we could have probably done better by those people and their families who experienced such tremendous loss. I would say that's one area that uh, in hindsight, all of us think we could have done better. Right. I think along with that too is, I, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the unprecedented nature of the crisis too. And part of it, part of that, in, I think to what you're getting to is that we didn't know how far we could go, how hard we can go in terms of protections. And I guess maybe because of, biases in how we live every day it was the the bias here was to um try and make the 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 changes to the way we were living as minimal as possible absolutely Uh, yeah absolutely you know i think i think that speaks to another thing that we all maybe reluctantly recognize is uh you know outside of healthcare Hmm. you know we uh, the lockdowns (laughs) <laughs> had we locked, everyone's asking the question, had we locked down harder earlier, would it have made a difference? Mm. And, uh, you know, I think we all recognize the experience in countries like New Zealand, and of course, related to their unique geography, or even the Maritimes in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, the stopping international travel, the, the increased lockdowns, the increased infection control, all of those things that were done in other jurisdictions, it's really easy to say in hindsight, wow, what we could have done. You know, mostly we did a great job, you know, (laughs) and, you know, Canadians need to be reminded of that. Canada did a really good job. And, you know, there was an awful lot going on south of the border that maybe distracted us from how poorly they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, by comparison, it's really helpful having our neighbors to the south when we want to reflect on how well or how poorly we have done, there are absolutely pockets within our um, our uh, national and local responses that should have been way better. But overall, our response was was really strong mm-hmm. and continues to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are also criticisms now about, and I I see this when when I watch the local news or not just the local news, but, you know, the TV news in general, you know, covering the vaccine rollout, you know, we're, you know, people reporting, you know, we're in the 50th place in terms of the number of, you know, people per capita we've, we've given vaccines. Um, I take it you would probably agree with me. That is not a helpful lens through which to look at the vaccine rollout. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've had quite a few moments, you know, myself, when I found myself less than charitable. And, uh, and then I have to stop and say, you know, I really do think everyone is trying to do a good job on this. You know, I think everyone is trying to do their best. And there are lots of things going on behind the scenes that we don't understand. And, you know, I think it's, if I reflect on what we've done in 
you know, through my work and what I've been able to at least influence a little bit is to try and, uh, and one of the things I've done is to try and be as transparent as possible and to be as open as possible. So, you know, one of the things we did really early on, kind of before we all Zoomed, uh, we set up weekly and actually it was twice a week teleconferences with all the family doctors locally. And it was eight o'clock to late 30. Uh, we did it twice a week and we're still doing it now by Zoom once a week. Um, and uh, everyone knows they can sign on at eight and it'll start at eight and they'll be off the phone or off the Zoom by 8.30, but it's what's going on, where the pressure points are in the system, uh, what's new, what we're expecting. So as recently as, uh, as this week, the meeting, we talked about more on the vaccine rollout, more on this uh, rather sudden rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine that we're figuring out how to do as we speak. Um, but also, you know, weekly, we find out how busy is the hospital, how many COVID patients are in the hospital. You know, early, early on with that, that enabled us to do so much. So we uh, took our healthcare workforce um, and said, where can you help? And it was fantastic. So we had, we asked, uh, you know, you have to do a lot of this by survey and then follow up, but we had a whole group of family doctors that said, yeah, if a merge goes down, I can work in a merge at Guelph General. Uh, if long-term care really needs doctors, I can be there or nurses uh, for some of the nursing staff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think of the story of one of our uh, kinesiologists who was working at one of the local long-term care homes when they were in really bad outbreak and he was feeding residents because that's something he could do. Right. Um, but we had, uh, you know, we have a number of doctors who said, yeah, I could work in ICU if I had to. I'm you know, I wouldn't want to be the only one, but if I had to, I could. <laughs> and so um, um, early on, it was, this is what's going on. This is what could be going on. How can you help and what help do you need? Mm -hmm. And we just kept that going as a drumbeat through this whole thing. And so, you know, it's interesting because we had the call this week and we, we had a moment of silence in recognition of, of the year um, uh, and all the loss in the last year. Um, but we reflected on how something that has isolated us so very much has also brought us so close together. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I think when I reflect on that piece of it, we did a really good job, uh, in this community. It was, uh, you know, we knew that we were only as good as sort of the weakest link or the, or the, the piece that was most in trouble. And so throughout the course of the year, people were redeployed, Guelph Family Health Team staff, physicians, they've, they've worked in so many different places of the system, in the system that, uh, and had their eyes opened. And all of us have had our eyes opened over the last year, which has been pretty, pretty incredible, actually. Um, I was, again, I was going to get into this in a, a bit later, but I, I think that maybe speaks to one of the perhaps future benefits of the pandemic, you know, does it help? Um, your team, you know, having this more um, wide ranging experience in the, the greater health community that, that that helps them better at their day jobs once all this gets quote unquote back to normal. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think what we're trying to do with the Ontario health team thing is to bring the healthcare system together in a more integrated way. And what we've learned with COVID is there's no room for 
us to do our own thing, that all of the pieces are connected and interconnected. So, you know, when we started the, uh, the thinking around the COVID assessment center, you know, we knew quickly that we needed GGH to be on board. We knew that public health had a, had a provincial and local role. They needed to be involved. The paramedics got involved very quickly, the city. Um, and I think um, it definitely has brought uh, partners together in new ways um, that we didn't think about before and necessary ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when I think about your question, though, it's, I think it's changed all of us, too. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of saying, oh, I think I'm better. I'll just go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you've had a cold or you've had a whatever. And uh, I think I'll certainly think twice about that in the future. And I would hope everyone would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess one of the more direct things, and I was talking to the, my co-host on my other radio show about this yesterday, is, you know, no flu season this year or virtually no flu season this year. And yeah. I mean, largely that's because of the response to COVID, but a lot of the same things we've used to prevent the spread of COVID incidentally right. prevent the right. spread of the flu. Right. And, you know, like the classic, you know, core public health, small P public health principle, you know, wash your hands. <laughs> Such a basic thing. Right. You know, don't cough on other people. You know, you're told that as a kid. And uh, it's such a basic thing and it makes such a difference. Keep your hands off your face. Uh, all of the, the things that we all know and were taught in kindergarten or before um, <laughs> have, been, have been proven to be really true in this. And, um, um, but, you know, I think we've all learned a lot. Um, we've also learned a lot about, uh, you know, how to stay resilient. And I think that's been a real challenge for everybody, you know, around the world, but certainly in the healthcare community, you know, I I think there's, there's always been a real worry about self-care, uh, among healthcare providers, but I really see it. You know, I, I am on many zoom calls a day and I just see the tired faces and, you know, I know everyone's tired because they want to do right. Um, they want to do as much good as they can. And uh, there's a selflessness that happens, but it does come at a cost. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it, you know, we all are feeling it. But, you know, with, with uh, you know, vaccine going in arms now and the hope for the future, I think we all say, yep. Yeah, there's a boost of adrenaline. We can keep going on this one. Mm -hmm. We came back around to it and you kind of opened the door to this one too, but we're we're recording this on Friday. Wednesday, there was a big announcement about uh, involving Guelph doctors specifically about um, being able to give shots of the AstraZeneca vaccine in offices to Mm -hmm. select patients. Um, That kind of, again, maybe you can add some, background information of this, but it, that felt like it was sort of an announcement that came out of nowhere. You got it. I got an email. <laughs> I got an email at 2.30 saying yeah. you're available for a 4.30 teleconference on Friday <laughs> afternoon. And uh, I think public health probably got it at 2.30 and quickly called the uh, teleconference together. And, you know, it speaks to the stuff I've been talking about because we all got on the phone, the Zoom, and heard about it and recognize it's probably gonna be 
2,500 or 3,000 doses. But that's 2,500 or 3,000 people that are vaccinated and our community is so stronger, so much stronger if we have 3,000 more people vaccinated. So at the end of the call was a, you know, do you think you might be interested? It was a resounding yes, yeah, we'll do it. We'll find a way. You know, I can tell you it was a busy weekend and it was a crazy week. Um, but I know that the vaccine has arrived uh, in Guelph today or yesterday, I think it arrived. And uh, I know the practices are starting to deliver depending on the practice this weekend. Mm-hmm. And, and that speaks to exactly kind of how this has gone. Like we don't know from day to day, week to week, sometimes hour to hour, um, what's going to transpire. Um, and uh, we just have to respond to it. Another great example, the university we're setting up with our great University of Guelph partners, this um, immunization clinic, the vaccination clinic at the university center opening next week. And, uh, you know, the idea is to have a large center available for the home community, the whole community in a, in a place that is relatively accessible and available. Um, we started knowing it was going to start on the 15th and thinking um, vaccine isn't coming in. So we're going to do 200 people a day. Okay, that's fine. Um, a slow start's kind of nice. <laughs> on the weekend, an email. Guess what? More vaccine is coming. You need to ramp up more quickly. Okay, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, that's the, you know, I, I think as Canadians, we often talk about with pride and sometimes with disdain about our healthcare system, Mm. but our healthcare system is the sum of the parts and the parts are the, are the doctors and the nurses and the counselors and dietitians and others that work in the system. And they just rise to the challenge. I, I toured the, uh, the university center yesterday. Um, it's all set up and ready to go and people are just there and just doing it and just taking it in stride and uh boy if there's a reason to feel good about your healthcare system if there's a reason to feel good about your community it was right there in your face it was amazing one of the things i was trying to get at and perhaps even you've answered it is just you know i think all of us um no matter what the field we're in we like the time to adjust to new information, but you know, here you are on some random day and <laughs> you get the announcement that's like, now you're getting thousands of vaccine or hundreds of vaccine. You have to set up and not just in, into the way that this is already being done through the, um, the public health offices where the, all the vaccine clinics are now. And I know there's one in the sports plex uh, in Wellington County that they're, they're, they're doing things through, but to set up an entirely new method through the doctor's offices. And I, maybe it's just me, but if I were to get that call that to have to create a new vaccine delivery system out of whole cloth, I would probably melt down. But I mean, I guess this is what separates the wheat from the chaff as it were. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there was a little melting down, but you you could afford to melt down too quickly. So, uh, so, you know, we pulled together some, uh, some groups on the weekend to figure it out. And, uh, you know, we said, okay, this is different process. We now have to figure out a, how many 60 to 64 year olds do we have? How many would be eligible for the shot? How do we reach them? How do we explain to them that this is AstraZeneca and not Pfizer? And what's the difference between the two? Because we're all reading everything we can and we're all picking our favorites, even though we don't necessarily know. And, uh, um, and all of the other questions. And uh, so uh, lots of discussions on the weekend, set up one of our 
teleconferences, eight o'clock to 8.30 on Tuesday morning, um, uh, where we went through as many of the, uh, here's an idea as possible. And uh, lo and behold, it's happening. The vaccine's uh, being sent to the practices as we speak. Mm-hmm. And it's what you've kind of had to do. And, you know, I think it's, as I think about this whole, you know, restart phase that's coming, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, kindness and how we need to be kind to each other and how we need to be kind to our health system, um, our doctors and our nurses and our, our uh, you know, um, cleaning staff and cashiers and all of those folks. Um, because everyone is warned um, mm. and everyone is, you know, we're, we're going to come out of this and it's the great news is we're going to come out of this and, and we're all going to feel we made it except um, there was a lot of loss in the meantime, you know, mm. personal loss, a loss of lives, loss of freedoms, loss of income, loss of jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to, we're a pretty resilient species, but we're going to have to, you uh, really think about kindness as we move forward on this one. That's certainly uh, something I've been thinking a lot about and, and you know, how much to really expect of people as we ramp back up to whatever backup is. Mm-hmm. I imagine too, you've also been thinking about, you know, going back to the, the regular daily needs of your practice and the, the everyday primary care have you been able to detect like maybe what the long-term impact of, of COVID is going to be the, you know, whether it's just, you know, people refusing, not refusing per se, but, you know, just delaying going to the hospital if there's an issue, you know, delaying Mm -hmm. making that doctor's appointment. Um, People, we know people have had surgeries delayed, these kinds of things. I mean, do you have a sense of just how big that backlog might be once the major yeah, part of this is over? Certainly a worry. You know, we're seeing the cracks right now with um, just people's coping and mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, even locally at our hospital uh, our emerge. So many of the uh, people in there are there for people with um, severe mental health and addictions issues who just haven't been able to access some of the other resources that kept them above water. Mm. And, uh, and so I think that's sort of some of the first cracks we, we've done again, everyone's done their best, but we've done our best with, with communications and with social media presence around, keep your appointments, you know, make, don't let things slide. Um, but, but, you know, you talk to, I, we've all talked to people who've said, no, I don't think I'm comfortable going to a hospital or I don't think I'm comfortable having my surgery or to a doctor's office or, or whatever, a dentist's office. Um, and uh, there will be a price, you know, our, our hospital is doing a great job in getting the backlog of surgeries done, but it's a backlog. You know, we know that over 2000 surgeries were, were delayed because of COVID. They're working their way through them. Um, and doing a great job, but um, you know what happened during that time when I needed a a hip and I had to wait an extra I don't know six months for that. What other deterioration happened? Mm. Um, and I don't think we'll know that. Um, you know, I think there's the emotional toll that all this has taken, but I think you're quite right in raising the physical toll. And I think we'll. We'll see. I do have a lot of faith in the resilience, as I said, of our species, 
Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I have seen um, both professionally and personally through this is some real recognition of our need for contact in contacting people in ways that we hadn't um, before because we didn't need to maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, I know even in my neighborhood, just the number of neighbors that have connected uh, virtually, you know, by phone or by holiday greetings or whatever um, that haven't happened in previous years. But, but for sure, we as a, as a city, as a community, as a country, um, there are going to be long-term impacts of this. How about on your profession? And, and I mean, we're talking about the, the, the work <laughs> the work of actually taking care of people as a doctor. But I mean, thinking about the future, thinking about five years from now, yeah. how does the work of being a doctor change because of this? You talked about, you know, being through SARS, but this was not SARS. This was not right. H1N1. You know? right. and, uh, yeah. Exactly. As a non-physician, I work with the physicians and, uh, you know, it. I think it's one of the big worries through this whole thing, you know, new babies still, you still need to bring in your new babies to be checked. You can't let that go. You know, this important stuff around little ones in their first years of life or, or an older person who's querying, you know, their forgetfulness or, or, you know, all of those things you, you can't let go of. And I think the, the feeling in primary care um, is certainly a bit of worry. I think you know, it's also changed, though, how um, how many people in primary care work in terms of proactive calls and proactive visits, because really most family doctors know most of their patients pretty well, mm-hmm. um, and some less well, of course. Um, but like any group of people, there's probably a small percentage that you worry about the most. And what we've facilitated through this whole thing is outreach. So I know of people, I, I mean, I know it through work, but I know of, of friends and parents, whatever, who will say, I got a call from my doctor's office asking this. And, uh, you know, I think that needs to continue. I think it needs to continue professionally in, in medical care, but, you know, back to the societal thing. Um, isolation is a big thing. You know, we, we, we talk about mental health. It's great that mental health is on our on our tables, it's in our vocabulary. We're talking about that all the time. Right. Isolation is a big contributor. And, um, you know, I think that that how family practice is delivered and how a lot of services are delivered need to take that into consideration in the future. We need to not just wait until something breaks before we try to fix it. And, uh, you know, isn't that a perfect theme in something that's so largely uh, a population health issue, we got to prevent as much as we can um, and be ahead of this so that we don't end up in a worse situation. I guess to to read into that, you feel that perhaps as a people, we will come out better because of this experience that we will not fall back on old bad practices like going into work sick or things like that, like being more aware of our health, our mental health, our primary health, it, it, you know, the, the, 
there will be no like in that regard going back to normal, so to speak. I, I would, I can't imagine how there could be, mm. um, you know, and this is not a good parallel, but I remember, <laughs> I can't even remember when it was, then we had that, that uh, hydro blackout. I forget mm. what year that was, but I remember yep. I was working. And for the longest time after we had, uh, you know, we we're all really conserving our electricity and not, you know, we saw office buildings with the lights off at night and all that stuff. And I don't know how quickly it went away, but it went away really quickly, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I sure hope that, you know, at the end of this, we think about how we stay healthy, how we prevent illness, how important it is to wash our hands, how important it is to take time for ourselves and check on our, our mental ability, check, you know, our shoulders shrugged without us trying, um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and check in on people who, who are at risk. You know, there are a lot of folks out there that um, are pretty alone and, uh, you know, at pretty at risk. And so um, I think it, it has to change who we are as a people. It will be I'm optimistic that it will change it in a good way. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, so Russ Kirkconnell, thank you so much for all your time today. And uh, thank you for all the, the hard work from um, yourself and the, the Guelph Family Health Team. It is appreciated, even if uh, you don't get as many thank you cards as you should. So, but thank you <laughs> for so everything. Much. Yeah, it's all good. Thanks. And once again, that was Ross Kirkconnell, and you can learn more about the Guelph Family Health Team at their website, guelphft.com, and you can also find them easily on social media. The Guelph Family Health Team is helping to manage vaccine location sites at Skyjack on Woodlawn Road and the University of Guelph. But for any information concerning the vaccine effort, especially when and how you can get your vaccine, you have to go to Public Health's website at wggpublichealth.ca. And that is it for this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU at the University Center on the University of Guelph campus. And to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast on Wednesday from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. You can download it from the host at Podbean at guelphpoliticast.podbean.com. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, wherever you get it, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can get in touch with me by email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. Reach me through Twitter at Adam A. Donaldson or at Guelph Politico. You can find Guelph Politico on Facebook at facebook.com slash politicoguelph. And if you'd like to help build a locally sourced independent media outlet in the city of Guelph, then please consider donating to Guelph Politico. And you can find out how at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then... We will see you next time.